Do you remember the events over the past few years, or have you forgotten already, in which we were locked down for three plus years and you weren't allowed to criticise, you weren't allowed to speak up on social media? If you dare stated that perhaps masks had some issues, then people would call you a radical conspiracy theorist. That is what I believe is really quite bad. So it turns out that Tucker Carlson was right. And I was listening to a podcast yesterday on Robert F. Kennedy and Jordan Peterson, in which they noted the conspiratorial and very skewed incentives in which are present within the case of Big Pharma and media organizations around the world. According to Robert F. Kennedy, he stated that Big Pharma owns a huge portion of the advertising scene in which, obviously, mainstream media is reliant upon. And when it comes to primetime news, specifically within the evening, this consists of around 85% market share for Big Pharma advertising upon mainstream media at these prime times. And therefore, you can clearly see the skewed incentives in which are created when you have Big Pharma, whom literally have mainstream media within a chokehold. The latest video by Tucker Carlson really highlights this too and shows the skewed incentives, the lies, and to be honest, the truthfulness that Tucker was speaking. The mainstream media are not here to speak the truth. The legacy media is not here to tell you the hard truth. The mainstream media is not here to push the boundaries. What happened to the media who used to hold governmental organizations to account? What happened to the media who used to hold reputable individuals to account? What happened to the media who used to question people like Dr. Fauci? Instead, mainstream media seemingly has turned into a parroting organization in which reiterates the narratives that are pushed forward by the mainstream media. And this is why we together must speak up. This is why we together must speak the truth. And this is why we must support one another when it comes to speaking the truth. This is the company I'm setting up now. This is the show I host daily for 40 minutes every day and writing content too on dontons.com in which you can read for free. This whole enterprise and show is about truth, speaking truth, finding truth, no matter how uncomfortable that can be because the truth is the only thing that matters. We've seen over the past few years a descendants into a tyrannical mess, quite literally, in which we mirrored, as I'll get to later on, the actions of the communistic Chinese autocratic tyrannical government just insanity. And people say to me, why do you still care? This was four years ago now. Uh, why do I care? The millions of people hung themselves via suicide in consideration of the necessity and the forcing of being stuck indoors for years and years on end. Do I care about the tyranny and the censorship in which occurred specifically in the media space and the online space when it came to social media? Do I care about that? And do I care about the trillions of dollars of economic damage and the huge inflation rates in which, in large part, are due to the printing of billions and billions of dollars? I mean, it's not the biggest deal in the world, if you ask me. Obviously, just pure insanity, to say the least. So before we get to the video, just to summarise what I say very fluently. In a time of emergency, leaders, instead of keeping a core head, hung on to tyrannical-like power and mirrored the actions in which we see within the most authoritarian, tyrannical government that the world has ever seen, namely the Chinese Communistic Party. So yeah, it's pretty hard to have any positives from that at all, to be frank. Okay, let's hear what Tucker Carlson had to say. And just to prove that Tucker was right on so many issues, which I think he doesn't get credit for. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Joe Biden has not waded too deeply into questions of public policy recently, in case you haven't noticed. 
Whatever else Biden may be doing, looking at funny cat videos on the Internet, shuffling to his mailbox every afternoon, it's fair to say that he is not running a campaign about ideas. But Biden has made at least one campaign promise so far. He's pledged that if elected, he will force you to wear a mask when you go outside. Now, Biden didn't specify which epidemiological studies would justify a law like that. That's probably because there aren't any. Not a single one, but whatever. Biden has never been much of a science guy. He is a lifelong politician. His specialty is not public health. His specialty is power and coercion. So he does what he knows. Instead of explaining how wearing a mask when you ride your bike alone could possibly save anyone's life, Biden instead demands that you forget about your so-called rights as an American and obey his orders. No questions allowed. Otherwise, you're unpatriotic. If it sounds familiar, that's because we've seen a lot of this lately. Democrats have decided to use our public health emergency as a political weapon to win the election. Turns out that's easier than trying to fix the country. Terrified, unhappy populations want change. And that's welcome news to the party trying to take power. That's why they're doing it. But what's the cost to the rest of us, to America? It's profound. Thanks to restrictions that are rooted in politics rather than science, children cannot go to school or play with their friends. Parents can't go to work. People can't get married or attend funerals. Human contact has been drastically curtailed. These are not small things. They're essential human needs. Without them, we can't live. In May, we talked to a father whose teenage son killed himself, he believes, because of isolation caused by the coronavirus lockdowns. It was a crushing segment and hard to watch, but it's worth watching. Here's part of the conversation. My, my young 12-year-old boy, uh, three days before his 13th birthday, uh, took his life. Uh, Hayden was a, a normal kid. Um, he wasn't depressed. He died of the COVID virus. He didn't die of the COVID virus, but he died certainly because of the COVID virus. Um, the isolation has created what I believe and what I worry and what I'm warning every parent in America tonight, um, an emotional tsunami is, is sweeping this nation, um, and, and I'm very concerned about it. He had reason to be very concerned about it. That was nearly three months ago. The country has become sadder and more isolated since. In fact, the lockdowns have driven Americans to the edge, and that's not speculation. According to new data from the CDC, fully a quarter of all young people in this country between 18 and 24 recently have considered suicide, seriously thought about killing themselves. That is a massive and terrifying increase over previous surveys. It's a tragedy. Anxiety and depression are at record highs. Many Americans have fallen into a spiral from which they will not escape. Because of coronavirus, many people are now unemployed or isolated at home. And as a result, the drug epidemic has intensified. You shoot up, you smoke, you do whatever it is you do, pop a pill, and the world goes away for a while. Joe Cordovano runs Fresh Start Ministries in Orlando and says they're seeing more relapses and more stories of drug abuse as a result. Nationwide, it's the same story. The National Institute on Drug Abuse estimates that since the outbreak, overdoses are up between 30 and 40%. People are depressed. You see it all around you. They're depressed because they're cut off from one another. They're depressed because their lives are moving backwards. According to data collected last month, 12% of American households in the richest country in the world are now routinely short on food. More than 20% of all renters in America are behind on payments. Keep in mind, these data were collected before federal unemployment benefits expired. People are abandoning their pets. Prescriptions are going unfilled. We could go on. 
big parts of this country are becoming poor. But you don't hear about it much because to the media and our leaders in Washington, it's not a very big deal. They can't imagine worrying about money. In Washington, they live in a city with guaranteed full employment always and forever thanks to the federal government, and it affects their attitudes. Here's Tony Fauci, the most political man in the most political city in America, telling you that going broke isn't really a big deal. I know it's difficult, but we're having a lot of suffering, a lot of death. This is inconvenient from an economic and a personal standpoint, but we just have to do it. It's inconvenient, says Dr. Fauci. Remember when you respected that guy? Remember when he seemed like a legitimate public health expert? We do. He was on the show. We treated him like a physician. Now it's clear Fauci is just another oily politician on an ego trip, just like the rest of them. In case you haven't been to a supermarket recently, Fauci is featured on the cover of InStyle magazine, photographed by the pool. Man of science. What a buffoon. But Fauci isn't suffering during the lockdowns. He's loving it. Tony Fauci is enjoying the hell out of himself. So is CNN. Jeff Zucker understands that the lockdowns are the only way his personal friend, Carmela Harris, is ever going to run the country. So his anchors dutifully berate the public for not obeying, even as they ignore the rules they demand that you follow. Watch the bodybuilder's roid rants on the subject. All right, so while most Americans are staying inside, or should be, right, if they're not out protesting like fools, they're not happy about being told to stay home. Staying home saves lives. And the rest of us should be staying at home for our mothers and the people that we love. And to keep us farther apart will ultimately bring us closer together in this cause. Our collective conscientious actions. Staying home. Stay home! That's the order, except, of course, when you're pledging allegiance to the Democratic Party. And in that case, feel free to flood the streets. It's healthy. So a landmark study over the past few days has come out revealing the total failure of the lockdown policies, calling it a drop in the bucket in comparison to other policies. And we have a comparison later on for nations whom didn't lock down, namely Sweden, credit where credit is due to Sweden. And now they have much lower excess deaths. I wonder why that is. Who would have thought it, hey? A new landmark meta-study by researchers at John Hopkins University and Sweden's Land University has concluded that, that the draconian restrictions imposed on British population in the spring of 2020 saved fewer than 1,700 lives in England and Wales and were what is referred to a drop in the bucket in comparison to the staggering collateral costs. Scientists from John Hopkins University and Lund University examined almost 20,000 studies on measures taken to protect populations against COVID across the world, and their findings suggested the lockdowns in response to the first wave of the pandemic, when compared with less strict policies adopted by the likes of Sweden, prevented as few as 1,700 deaths in England and Wales. In an average week, there are around 11,000 deaths in England and Wales. The report authors stated that their findings showed that the draconian measures had a neg negligible impact on COVID mortality and were a policy failure of a gigantic proportion. I mean, it, it's just quite insane to me, and I think we can see this over the past few years, how important truth is. And when you think of things such as Nazism, when you think of things such as the Soviet Union, from this perspective, from the current perspective of today, one always believes that they would never go along with the crowd. But Eric Fromm, for example, has noted many times that in light of new freedoms, individuals often cling on to tyrannical-like power 
in an attempt to basically have some order within their lives. And this is what we saw recently with the COVID lockdowns. I would also state that it is incredibly naive to believe that if you were alive within Nazi periods or the Soviet Union, it is incredibly naive to believe that you would be the only one who wouldn't go along with the radical consensus at the time. And I think what we've seen during COVID is a great example of this, namely the madness of crowds in which can occur, the difficulty of us as a sapien to go against the crowd and to speak the truth. We are naturally very social animals. Therefore, going against the crowd can be viewed as incredibly dangerous and daunting. So specifically for young people out there, this is a huge lesson to be learned. Madness of crowds is incredibly strong. And this should, I believe, and it has in my case, led me to question many other things and narratives in which we're told on a common basis, including that of climate change. And recently I've been reading a book by Alex Epstein called Fossil Future, in which basically debunks many of the narratives in relation to climate change, revealing the skewed motives and the similarities, I believe, I can spot when it comes to climate change, the draconian measures in which are trying to be imposed upon us now, and what we've seen over the past years when it comes to COVID. John Hopkins is one of the most respected medical schools in the world, and has become very well known in the pandemic for the COVID dashboard measuring cases and deaths around the world. The study's authors concluded, the signs of lockdowns is clear, the data is in, the deaths saved were a drop in the bucket in comparison to the staggering collateral costs imposed. The detrimental impact of lockdowns on children's health, their education, economic growth, has really contributed to a large increase in public debt, which has become increasingly clear since the policy was introduced. Billionaire Stanley Druckenmiller has noted this too, indicating towards the inability of repaying our debt in the future, specifically within the US. And the real question is, in regards to debt, will the debt of today be outpaced by the growth of tomorrow? But it's really not quite clear to me that when one spends billions of dollars on lockdown implementations and spending, printing money out of thin air, basically. It's not clear to me that that is going to result with an economic growth and progress from a societal front, from a technological front, in which thus will repay the debt. And this is one big issue in itself, which we'll get to later on. The Telegraph recently revealed that a secretive governmental unit worked with social media companies during the pandemic in an attempt to curtail criticism of controversial lockdown policies. The COVID disinformation unit monitored social media and asked tech companies to remove posts in which it considered to be potentially harmful content. This term hate content is a Trojan horse which is utilised by the radicals and the authoritarian-like within today's society in order to silence. That, that's what it is. This term hate speech it makes you feel sympathetic. If someone's being hateful, obviously you're going to try to be sympathetic towards that person. But in reality, it's, it's a mask. It's a Trojan horse. Underneath the surface, it's not hate speech. It's called criticism. It's called debate. And this is the Trojan horse. The terminology of hate speech is a Trojan horse that is used by authoritarian likes to impose their tyranny upon society. British Fergus lockdown in March 2020 was introduced on the basis of modelling exercises from Mr. Neil Ferguson, which had predicted that there could be more than 500,000 deaths in the UK without an action to stop the spread of the virus. His research has suggested that even with mitigations such as social distancing and household quarantines for COVID, there could be at least 250,000 deaths unless further measures were taken. And this really reminds me of what we see now on the climate front too, in which if you look back with people such as Paul Ehrlich and Al Gore, they were predicting in the 1970s and 80s, not many people know this, they were predicting the population bomb, as Paul called it, in which he was an advocation for this policy that was specifically conspicuously referring to depopulation. The reason is twice because he believed that the world was overpopulating at a grand pace, 
and therefore we would lack resources necessary. He believed everyone in the UK was going to starve by the year 2000. He believed that we were going to run out of resources, and in some cases we were going to go to war with China. And one of the radical predictions and moral panics at the time was that this resource that was necessary for televisions at the time would mean that half the world would be on grey TVs and the other half would be on coloured television. Obviously just an absurdity beyond belief. So when people speak about these things such as, you know, climate predictions, um, population collapse predictions, or, uh, you know, population explosion predictions, these things, it's so hard to implement these models. Often these models are created within a vacuum. It is so hard to see the unforeseen consequences that occur. For example, within the case of overpopulation, when you grow rapidly the population, who is to say that this won't result within more productivity, more agility, and therefore any concerns regarding perhaps lacking resources will be solved. When you're making these models on such a grand scale, it's incredibly hard to be totally truthful and entirely correct. And we can see that now on the climate front in which the conspicuous narratives by Al Gore are just so preposterous beyond belief. In fact, on the climate front, Al Gore in the 70s was stating that instead of global warming, there was going to be global cooling. He believed that a new ice age was coming and everyone was going to freeze to death. Therefore, we must warm the planet. And now they're saying global warming. It's like, just on the climate front alone, there is much suspicion I have in regards to the knowledge system and the mainstream media in consideration of their poor track record. It's beyond preposterous. His research has suggested that even with mitigations such as social distancing and household quarantines for COVID cases, there could be at least 250,000 deaths unless further measures were taken. And a new study on the impact of lockdowns published in report by the Institute of Economic Affairs was out on Monday. And across Europe, the report stated in which countries who embarked upon the lockdowns saw solely 6,000 fewer deaths than if they had embarked upon less draconian approaches, whilst the US could have seen 4,000 fewer deaths they conclude, which is just absurd. This is from The Telegraph, by the way, who are noting this. This is just really quite remarkable. By contrast, modelling Mr. Professor Ferguson and his colleagues from Imperial College London in March 2020 had predicted that, without action, the UK could see 510,000 deaths from COVID, with 2.2 million in the United States. After lockdown was imposed, the scientists suggested that intense social distancing and other interventions now in place could reduce that figure to 20,000 in the UK. The COVID inquiry is set to examine the governmental decisions in which they made during the pandemic, but it has already been the subject of significant criticism regarding the speed, scope and transparency. No wonder when you have people like Mr. Cock, sorry, Mr. Hancock, I should say, who were basically lying, they were partying, they were going off having affairs with other colleagues. I mean, it's just an absurdity. The whole thing was so scandalous. It's the biggest medical scandal in modern history by far, as this report concludes. Researchers from John Hopkins' study stated that their findings indicated towards lockdowns being a policy failure of gigantic proportions, a global policy failure of gigantic proportions. The co-authors at a university in Sweden stated that the study was the first to evaluate the impact of mandatory restrictions. He said it demonstrates that lockdowns were a failed promise. They had literally no health effects, but disastrous economic, social and political costs to society. Most likely, lockdowns represented the biggest policy mistake in modern times. Which, by the way, of course, if you've been watching the show at Dantons.com, if you've been watching the shows online, on YouTube and Rumble, on Twitter, on Spotify, etc., you can see I've been reiterating this for such a long time. I've stated this was one of the biggest poly policy mistakes the world has ever seen, at least in modern history. This was a disaster beyond comprehension. They lied about everything. They imposed chronicle, dictatorship-style censorship. We mirrored 
the actions of the Chinese Communistic Party, and you think I shouldn't be outraged. What is concerning, too, about these studies, in my opinion, and about these lessons in which we're now learning, is that the World Health Organization recently have tried to create a treaty, and we are in the process of creating a treaty, a treaty, I should say, which is more like a draconian-type, tyrannical, authoritarian control mechanism within a centralized manner, in which basically, for the next supposed pandemic, let's say, they can impose the restrictions, and we as citizens have no say whatsoever regarding masks, regarding passports of vaccines, regarding all of these draconian measures in which we saw within the past, including lockdowns, of course. It's uh, really insanity. It seems like we basically are offshoring our policies in regards to lockdowns and the future of pandemics to an organization who is not accountable, has a terrible track record, and is imposing tyrannical-like measures in which are analogous to what we see within the Chinese Communistic Party. It sounds great. There were studies also done within this case regarding harsh lockdowns versus more voluntary measures. This found the difference in mortality amounted to just 3.2%, or 1,700 deaths in England and Wales, compared with countries such as Sweden, which relied more on voluntary social changes even when a broader definition of lockdown was used, combining the impact of specific inventions to allow for the fact that countries embarked on different measures, the estimates suggested it only reduced COVID deaths by around 10.7%. And this amounts to 6,000 deaths in England and Wales, 22,000 deaths in Europe, 16,000 deaths in the US during the first wave. Over this period, there were 74,000 COVID deaths in England and Wales. The report authors have concluded and stated, that their estimate of 1,700 deaths prevented by the first lockdown was far less than those of typical flu season, which has between 8,500 and 24,800 deaths. A co-author of the study um, and a member of an independent classical liberal think tank in Copenhagen, Denmark, mentioned that the numerous misleading studies driven by subjective models which overlook significant factors such as voluntary behaviour changes heavily influence the initial perception of lockdowns as highly effective measures. Our meta-analysis suggests that when researchers amount for additional variables such as voluntary behaviour, the impact of lockdown lockdowns becomes negligible. What this really reminds me of too is what we see now within the climate front, in which people are literally within advocation, no joke, of by 2030 rapid elimination, total and utter elimination of fossil fuels in which power 80% of the world's energy. And there is no acknowledgement of the fact that if we do this we shall literally send ourselves back to the stone ages i don't people i don't think people recognize the necessity of cost-effective energy when it comes to a productive a flourishing society cost-effective energy is at the foundation of society and fossil fuels are uniquely cost-effective within their natural properties including natural concentration and natural natural storage in conjunction with the huge levels of economic incentives and benefits and innovations in which have occurred over the past 100 years so when people state that we should just eliminate all fossil fuels instantaneously, it is just an absurdity beyond belief. What you're basically stating there is that we should eliminate the only form of cost-effective energy in which our society has accessibility to, aside from nuclear, of course, in which the climate radical environmentalists don't want to touch. But what one is basically stating in regards to the elimination of fossil fuels is that we should go back to the Stone Age, drive a boat around the world like Greta Blunderberg, like we're in the bloody 15th century, and thus literally impoverish and kill two billions of people who require cost-effective energy, namely fossil fuels. There are three billion people in the world now who have less electricity than the average American refrigerator. Three billion people 
in the world who have access to electricity and which is less than that of an American refrigerator. Do you understand how ridiculous that is? So when you say, by the way, and you should know this if you are an advocation for the rapid elimination of fossil fuels, when you state that we should rapidly eliminate fossil fuels, what you're basically stating is that we should ban all cars, ban all planes, stay at home all day, and to impoverish and push billions of people over towards the point of poverty, plus killing tens of billions of people whom require and are desperately in need of cost-effective energy in which shall liberate them out of poverty if they have access. And it's just insane, honestly. Long story short, the research has stated that studies indicate the voluntary behavioural change was far more important than mandatory restrictions in combating COVID. While Sweden had few compulsory restrictions, changes in consumer activity showed that older people stayed away from shops and restaurants at times as infection spread. So what really happened when it came to COVID? That is one of the biggest questions we must ask. I believe this is one of the biggest policy mistakes in the history of the universe, specifically in modern times, and boy, there are a lot to think about and choose from. But one hallmark of a bad leader on which Jordan Peterson has constantly reiterated is the fact that within a face of an emergency, if your leader does not remain calm, cool, and collected, but instead clings onto tyranny, goes into a state of frenzy, and chooses authoritarian-like power as a manner of responding, then that is a hallmark that you should not be anywhere near the leadership position. But it seems like that was literally all of the leaders in which we saw <laughs> who were in control during the pandemic. During the pandemic, we had the exact opposite occur. In the face of an emergency, public officials and leaders clung on to tyrannical-like measures imposed within authoritarian-like states, which is analogous to what we see within the most authoritarian country within the world, namely communistic autocratic China. What are the true implications then, as the study noted, when it comes to the lovely COVID lockdowns and the absurd policies in which we saw? Well, what some people need to realise is that when you lock the world down for two years, this is basically disastrous policy consequences from an economical standpoint, a medical health front and an educational front, and perhaps most importantly, a trust front. For example, how many people died, I ask, in relation to suicide because they were locked in their house for years and years on end? Nobody seems to be speaking about this. The fake legacy news is never going to tell you this, but we are. We're going to tell you the truth. We're going to change our mind if we're wrong. I'm going to tell you everything that I know. And this is what the fake legacy news are never going to do. They never report on things like this. They haven't questioned this. They, would, they wouldn't dare go against consensus when it came to the government. How many people, I ask, have committed suicide after the rate of inflation in, UK, in the UK and around the world rocketed to sky-high levels? How many people, I ask, have been pushed literally into poverty? After nations around the world were locked down and billions of people and billions of dollars were printed, causing a potential recession or a depression, as some suggest, in the markets and the economy. If this happens, as suggested by that of Stanley Druckenmiller, a billionaire, what shall the consequences be? Death toll, job loss, suicide, you name it. And from a mental health front, it's very clear to see, according to some reports, there is calculations regarding worsening of mental health during the pandemic and after, including some reports stating anxiety and stress during the pan pandemic time increased and rocketed 30%. When, is one, when one is locked in a room, when they're fed propaganda by the BBC, by all of these organisations who didn't report on the other side, they didn't once during the pandemic state that perhaps lockdowns were ineffective in certain areas, perhaps this wasn't a good idea, they didn't once speak about the policies within Sweden. Instead, they ridiculed the policies in Sweden. But look who is laughing now. On an educational front too, what are the long-term implications of this? The Daily Skeptic recently reported on this front reiterating that pupils from deprived areas are falling behind and fell behind massively during the pandemic and the lockdowns. 
according to data released on Friday, revealing 42% of GCSE students in the most deprived areas stated that they fell behind due to COVID disruptions, compared with 26% in more affluent areas. And I mean, don't also forget the scare tactics that we use to censorship the corruption, the coercion, the lies in which were present on mainstream media, with the corrupted fake legacy news in which I'll never gain my trust again, or two within the social media companies such as Google, YouTube, and Twitter at the time. Google, Twitter, and YouTube, I don't think people realize, literally during the pandemic, and still today in many cases, literally were solely propaganda censorship machines in which you had vast sums of people, thousands and thousands of people, and were solely responsible for censorship. According to the Daily Wire's latest post, they revealed how the Biden administration rigged the COVID debate. The latest Twitter files released showed that the Biden administration pressed the social media organizations to suppress alleged COVID disinformation, while simultaneously protecting the White House's preferred messaging. The Monday update comes in a form of series of tweets from the Twitter COVID files. The federal government was reportedly rigging the COVID debate by censoring info, info that was true but inconvenient to the US governmental policy as well as discrediting actors and doctors whom, uh, who disagreed, really. This could true, by the way, under the Trump and Biden administration, which indicates towards, well, the lies in regards to Trump and his supposed claim that he was going to dismantle the deep state. Yeah, that didn't happen, did it? This, according to the Twitter files, suggested that COVID information censorship was not limited solely to Twitter. It wasn't just Twitter, but the meetings with the Trump White House were also intended by Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others. The Twitter files cited examples of suppression by bots, automated intelligence that flagged certain content forms, while simultaneously outsourcing moderation to workers in a faraway location such as the Philippines. The contracted workers in places such as the Philippines also moderated content. They were given decision trees to aid in the process but tasking non-experts to adjudicate tweets on complex topics like myocarditis and mask efficacy was really a terrible policy mistake according to the report by the Daily Wire. I've said this many times, but I believe this was one of the biggest mishandlings ever. And this is perhaps the most concerning thing of all the censorship that lies. The scientific revolution was fundamentally the acknowledgement of ignorance and the necessity and the acknowledgement as a society that we pretended that we no longer were going to pretend that we knew the truth via undisputable dogma and mysticism. Instead, what we were going to do was really acknowledge our ignorance and say we don't know certain things and ask hard questions. And this really was the period of the pre-Enlightenment era, in which we were within a period of irrationality, of darkness as many call it. And as I wrote on Dantons.com, prior towards this period of the Enlightenment, society was in darkness, and instead of understanding the building blocks and mathematical mechanisms in which create the structure of the earth, and thus the universe, instead society utilised the use of mysticism and irrationality in an attempt to understand and explain the universe, and some comical understandings and principles in which were held as ideological dogma prior towards the Enlightenment era are as followed, namely the use of superstition including principles and beliefs within bad luck caused by breaking a mirror, or walking under a ladder, or opening an umbrella indoors. And why do I say this? Well, it's because free speech, debate and discussion of fundamental principles in which were indicated towards and revealed within the Enlightenment era as a, matter, as a, as a method really to progress society forward. But this change, this mysticism, this irrationality changed during the Enlightenment era, ushering in a period of unprecedented societal science, technology and human rights. This was undoubtedly a major turning point for human history. Instead of the focus upon prior irrational superstitions and traditions, the embrace of science, reason and evidence-based thinking fundamentally has led towards important advancements within technologies, the rise of democracy and to the abolishment of slavery.
These principles of free speech, discussion, debate, and free thought, based upon the Enlightenment ideals, these are fundamentally necessary in order to progress society forward. But during the pandemic, as we can see, when one censors, suppresses lies about dissenting opinions, when one suppresses and censors alternative views, this is authoritarian-like. This is anti-Enlightenment thinking. And this goes against the principles in which have been so foundational for societal success and progress over the past 50-plus years, hundreds of years. When we silence alternative views and ban one side of the debate, this is a great way to descend into tyranny and chaos. I now know that no trust ever shall be given back to the corrupted legacy media. They lied about climate change. They continually exaggerate and catastrophize climate change issues. They don't tell you the alternative views when it comes to wars in Ukraine or the Iraq war. They failed during COVID to truthfully and honestly acknowledge what was going on within Sweden and ask questions. Was this correct? Why was it correct? What are we doing wrong? They didn't do this. And this is in part, I believe, due to the censorship, due to the lies, due to the huge just kind of tribal-like thinking which has encompassed our culture. And of course, are you going to trust medical science anymore? What are going to be the impacts of this? People are so sceptical now of medical science generally, after there were multiple lies by politicians and reputable individuals around the world regarding the efficacy of certain policies and medical interventions. But it turned out that this was not true. We were lied to. So if there is another virus in which comes around, will people take up medical intervention procedures? Or will they just not and perhaps die from this specific virus, specifically if the virus is of significant importance and high danger? A lot of trust has been lost within medical institutions of the day. The impacts, I believe, shall be felt for generations to failure, the lack of trust, the lies. But just remember this, in a period of an emergency, instead of our leaders keeping a cool head and being stoic, and understanding differing viewpoints, they clung on to tyrannical-like powers, authoritarian-like measures, which were analogous to what we see within the most authoritarian, tyrannical, dictatorship, autocratic-type regime the world has ever seen, the Chinese Communistic Party. So we should be totally and utterly ashamed. This is a disaster on just an incomprehensible scale. So thank you so much for watching. If you do enjoy, check out dantons.com where you can watch the full shows for free. You can also check us out on YouTube and Twitter and Spotify for other shows and content-related pieces in regards to truth and finding truth, seeking truth. That is what the whole brand is about. If you did enjoy, thank you so much, and I shall see you very soon.